Locked on NBA Friday edition. Adam and Anthony will be back with you next week. David Locke along with Ben Golliver. Opening night of the NBA returns or however we want to phrase it. And Ben Golliver is there in Orlando. Saw two incredible games, Utah and New Orleans, the Lakers and the Clippers. We'll talk about both those and the atmosphere. Look ahead a little bit as well to what's a big Friday night lineup as well on the program on Locked On NBA. Tonight, today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Remember, Locked On NBA, your daily podcast to give you the rundown on everything that happened the night before. We'll start in reverse order because that Lakers Clippers game is the marquee game 103-101 Laker win Ben before we get into all the X's and O's of it like what's the I mean this is a marquee massive game they ran the highlight on TNT of the last time they played and LeBron comes off and is pounding his chest and in, in a huge scream and there's all this crowd and like here now we're doing it without without uh anything in the crowd and what's it like, what's the atmosphere like? What does it feel like watching that game? Well, it was an amazing night all around. I think, you know, I just kept thinking back to all those podcasts we did in March, April, and May where we're crossing our fingers and just hoping, you know, is there going to be some way that basketball comes back? You look at opening night having, you know, LeBron getting a game winner and a big defensive stop on the other end after a showdown kind of head-to-head against Kawhi. And then, you know, having that follow-up, you know, a full circle moment for Rudy Gobert where he winds up hitting some game-winning free throws. And on top of all that, the social justice protests with the national anthem and, um, you know, the demonstrations they did there. I just think if you're the NBA, you're feeling like, uh, you know, all that planning was, was worth it. In terms of the feel in the building, the most interesting part was when LeBron would dunk and look over at his buddies, you know, Chris Paul and Damian Lillard and Carmelo Anthony and kind of celebrate his dunks because, you know, those guys were sitting courtside in an otherwise empty gym. Um, it felt weird down the stretch. And even during the third quarter where you had those big runs and, and kind of the swings of momentum, to not have that full crowd effect um, at that at point, especially in a heated game like a rivalry between the Lakers and Clippers, was very disorienting. You know, it didn't really feel like uh, being in the building, um, you know, like the atmosphere was living up to what the play was. Um, but certainly the, the payoff at the end was phenomenal. And I think for diehard basketball fans, like it doesn't matter how many people are cheering in the building you're sitting there and watching those final uh, 30 seconds just completely wrapped attention and, and just, you know, blown away by how LeBron came through um, after really trying to come out here and send a message all week long. The TV production's fabulous. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. It, it, it's a beautifully done broadcast. The people in the the Microsoft team things a little funky, makes it feel a little video gamey. But otherwise, I mean, it's really like well done on the TNT broadcast of Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller. I, you know, as a broadcaster, I hate to say it, like you, you couldn't tell a lot. I think TV's pulling this off radio. I, I can tell you all the things that are wrong with it. Cause I'm living it. Uh, but they're trying, we're trying. Um, but it's pr- from a production standpoint of the fans at home. I think they're going to get used to this. And I think it's only going to get better every game out. Oh, I agree for sure. I mean, I think that uh, it became clear to me during the dress rehearsals last week, those scrimmages where where there really wasn't a lot of mistakes or like, you know, weird things going wrong or some cameras falling off a tripod or, you know, the screen is like blue screening in the background. I mean, it seemed like it was already a pretty well-oiled machine um, by last week. And so for them to just kind of be ready for prime time with those two games, I thought it worked out well. I actually thought the, um, the anthem protest, even without having the live anthem singer in the building i thought it still worked out and they piped in the video that i'm sure they showed on television there too 
and it was sort of a seamless experience where we all got to hear what uh, you know Doc Rivers and, and those guys were saying on that video while also experiencing it in person. And I think most importantly, the players have adjusted. You know, I'm not sensing any frustration with oh the video boards behind the hoop or you know we don't have the crowd noise or we don't you know the depth perception is different like those kinds of complaints that I was coming down here expecting you know I really haven't heard you know guys they probably wish they had a, a little bit more you know loose rain outside of the bubble they probably wish they had some more freedom more food options that kind of stuff but I really haven't heard any complaints on the basketball side from players or coaches and to me that's the most important thing right because that's what we're down here to do is to play the game everybody seems on that page right now I talked to somebody in the bubble yesterday the best line I've heard yet they said Disneyland. Disney used to create the greatest place on earth. Now they've created the safest place on earth. <laughs> well, it does feel very safe, and I should have said that right off the top. If you're talking about the dream start for the NBA, having zero positive tests over the course of two weeks when you've got you know more than a thousand people living down here, you know it's phenomenal. Uh, I'll tell you this, Lock. They're strict, man. There, there's no doubt. I think at some point during the second half, I think my my mask came down below my nose. And I got a text message pretty quickly from someone saying, hey, NBA Health is watching you. They want you to put that mask back up over your nose. So, I mean, that's just me sitting in the last row of the media seat, uh, you know, probably 25 feet away from the court. But that gives you an idea of the level of security and, and attention to detail they've got going on in this program. You know, you're seeing it for guys if they miss their test, like a Porzingis, they have to sit out a game. You're seeing it for the punishment of Lou Williams, you know, for his strip club incident, you know, being pretty harsh, 10-day quarantine. You know, they're not messing around down here. They're not getting uh, no positive test results by accident. You know, this is all purposeful stuff. And, uh, again, you know, you compare it to what baseball is doing right now or, or what football is going through with their positive tests. You know, it does feel, uh, you know, very safe and, and very comforting down here. What uh, the anthem protest played well on Twitter, at least from what, you know, uh, I saw various people tweeting that it's very powerful and feelings like that. What did it feel like in the building? Um, you know, it was the, the the moment that stood out to me was Michelle Roberts sitting courtside with her mask on, having been down here for multiple weeks with the players and going through all those negotiations to get this stuff hammered out with the league. And that was not an easy process. You know, I mean, they were engaged in meetings for more than a month on all this stuff. And to ha to to see it from her perspective, because I was basically right over her shoulder. And after they finished, she led the cheer. She started clapping very loudly and you know, other people joined in and the players kind of responded by cheering as well. I just thought that was a special moment. Goosebumps. You know, I'm not going to really forget that. She's worked really hard on behalf of these players for years and I'm sure she was incredibly proud of that moment. And in fact, I think she said so uh, on Twitter a little bit later in the statement. Um, you know, we kind of knew it was coming, so it wasn't a huge surprise in terms of when they did it, but um, everybody was involved. I didn't think there was any sideshow sidetracking. And I will say this, after Kaepernick having done this years and years ago, it didn't feel that radical, you know? And I think that a lot of the backlash that took place in 2016 is just not going to be there this time around. And, you know, we may hear some politicians weigh on, in on it tomorrow morning. I mean, that's definitely possible. But in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the really polarizing conversation that we went through four years ago, I just think we're kind of in a different climate right now. I had a few fans that uh, texted me or, you know, I uh, 
through Twitter or Facebook told me they'll never watch another game. And that sucks for them because they missed a hell of a good game. So, um, uh, you know. Yeah, and I, don't you think the players feel the same way, too? Right. I mean, I, I'm not going to make that kind of a value judgment. You know, no, I'm being, so, I, I, has, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. I actually said the opposite on my podcast, in all fairness. If somebody really, yeah. one person said on my podcast, they've been a jazz season ticket holder for 20 years and they'll never watch again. If that's true, mm-hmm. if they're really just saying that, not grandstanding, I admire that. Like, I don't agree with it. I don't see it the same way they do. But if they're willing to do take something that was that important to them for 20 years in their, and in their commitment to the flag and the national anthem is so great that they're willing to do that, I admire that just as much as I admire the person willing to take the stand by taking, in, by taking a knee. So uh, I'm one who believes in conviction. And if you have true conviction and it's not just grandstanding, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll ha- I won't necessarily agree with you, but I'll have admiration on both sides. I was just actually kind of being sarcastic and playing a little bit. No, no, I, I get you completely. And I also think that I have admiration for businesses who are willing to say, we understand that something that we do could turn a percentage of our fan base off, but we believe it's the right thing to do. So that's what we're going to do. And it's taken the NBA a while to get there on this particular issue. Right. And there's been some other issues. Um, you know, you look at uh, you know, LGBTQ. I think the NBA was a real leader on that before it was kind of the popular and conventional wisdom to, you know, go to pride parades and those kinds of things. But on this one, uh, the NBA was playing catch up. And let's just be honest to Colin Kaepernick and for them to kind of come out and say, Hey, this is where we stand now. If there are people who get turned off because of it, well, that's going to be the cost of us doing the business. We, uh, you know, the way that we want to do it. And I have uh, respect for, for those principles too. My memory might be slightly wrong on this and I probably should double check it. I get nervous. I've gotten too old for some of these things. My memory is Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf did not stand for a national anthem in Salt Lake City and we went back afterwards and did an interview with him about it and he backed off of it. Um, when, in, and that the old, the former, formerly Chris Jackson, who uh, changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul-Roof, who played for the Denver Nuggets. I'll have to go back and look at that. I have a memory of this issue, covering this issue, and then he really backed off. Oh, I had this, I had that, but he had truly, because of his faith and how he felt, and, and on some of these same issues, decided not to do it, and then it didn't hold. We'll get on to the court next, because we actually have basketball to talk about on the court, and that's really cool. Like, really, really cool that we have basketball to talk about. That makes me super happy. We'll do that with Ben Golliver. He's of the Washington Post. You can follow him at Ben Golliver. And more importantly, you can get his newsletter every week from inside the bubble. He's doing amazing work. He's world famous now. So, you know, he's like CNN. My wife's like, oh, look, Ben Golliver on CNN. Like, it's, he's, a, he's a rock star. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, Rock Auto is going to treat you the exact same way. Why spend up to twice as much on the same parts you take advantage of rock autos old school expanded catalog for you you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers not just like the singular items you see in the brick and mortar store when you go into those chain stores you end up dealing with their pricing what they have available but at rockauto.com you have the massive nav uh easily navigatable catalogs for everything you need rockauto.com you'll see all the parts available for your car or truck make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that uh, they know who sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com all right clippers lakers it was their fourth meeting it's supposed to be the western conference finals did you see anything that gives you a feeling that one side has got an edge on the other, that there's any reason to believe that this is not the Western Conference Finals? What do you see? 
No, this is the Western Conference Finals. I mean, I've I've been on that pretty much all season long. I'm sticking with that. I do think the most important thing about oh, takeaway from this game is just the number of key uh, pieces who weren't there for the Clippers. You know, you look at their closing lineup and they're missing two or three of the guys they probably want to have out there, and they're going to expect to get those guys back. Whereas, you know, with some of the Lakers pieces like uh, Avery Bradley, for example, they're not getting him back. So, you know, it was a hard-fought game. I thought the Clippers were going to run away with it there early in the second half. Um, you know, I thought it was a rare case where Kawhi seemingly had a game in his control and, and let it go completely. Uh, you know, his decision-making on their last offensive possession where he gets a half-step on LeBron but, you know, doesn't keep going to the basket, doesn't get himself into one of his pull-ups and just kind of freezes in the moment and is looking for a bailout pass to Paul George, I think was uncharacteristic of Kawhi as well. So um, as much as I think, you know, LeBron came up big late, I do think that we should look at the other side of that coin and say, well, you know, Kawhi Leonard's a guy who's had a great reputation for closing games, especially in playoff games, um, you know, last year down the stretch. This was one that really got away from him to me. I mean, it seemed like he was, uh, you know, coming out and winning this one cleanly, you know, through the first half especially. And then, uh, you know, things just kind of fell apart for the Clippers. I will say this. The Lakers' length is really incredible. Like, I'm watching back at the first minutes of the game, JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Danny Green, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I mean, they miss Avery Bradley, but they are huge. I mean, really, really huge. And I think it's a, I think it's a problem for the Clippers in that I think part of what the Clippers have done is tried to have this lineup which has Morris, George, Kawhi, Patrick Beverly, maybe Lou Williams, maybe Landry Shamit where they can go small. I don't think they're going to be able to go small against the Lakers in the same manner. I think that um, they have a chance to go small and have it work. But if Anthony Davis plays like he played tonight, it's not going to work. Right. I I really do think he's the hinge player for this entire series. Um, I don't know if you want to call him an X factor or just kind of that pivot point or whatever, but um, when he's stepping up and, and scoring like that and, and being as long as you're describing, that's what changes everything. Because I think a, a real attribute of the Clippers as well against most teams would be their length. Now, it's a little bit different. It's not the big, bulky length inside, but that perimeter length bothers a lot of people. They're forcing a lot of turnovers, clogging up passing lanes, closing out on shooters, doing all those kinds of things that are really helpful defensively. And I think with the Lakers, you know, they're the one kind of team that maybe has the ability to outlength the Clippers and it, it really all does ride on Anthony Davis. You know, there's some games where he, you know, fades a little bit from the moment where he doesn't use his size fully to his advantage, where he's not that imposing presence all the time. And, you know, that's when, to me, the Lakers look vulnerable. When he plays like that, they look really, really good. It is interesting. It's like Anthony Davis and Paul George both have had these incredible careers. They're both top 10 NBA players. And they both have, I feel like, this little lacking piece to their resume. They've both been coupled now with one of the top five players in the NBA. But they're the ones who might determine this more than anyone else. Both of them were brilliant today. Oh, yeah. Paul George had a number of really, really big shots, and that's where I thought they were going to blow it open uh, was when he started to get going. You know, I think if you're the Clippers, this one's painful because I do think there would have been a real psychological benefit to kind of coming out here with, you know, three pieces missing and the Lakers playing so well during the scrimmages and the Clippers kind of, you know, going through it half-heartedly. And if you take that win, and especially if Kawhi is kind of so dominant as he was early in that game, I think that puts a lot more pressure on the Lakers. It shakes them up a little bit. 
I did sense a little bit of relief and joy from the Lakers afterwards. I'm not saying that they feel like they stole it, but certainly they, they really valued that win. Anthony Davis is joking around the post-game press conference, kind of sneaking in behind uh, one of these little corner boards to, you know, wave at LeBron, try to get LeBron's attention, tell him it's time to get back home on the bus so they can all go shower and everything else. It's just a good vibe around the Lakers. I think everybody can see that from their chemistry on and off the court, and it, it showed through today in a really big win for them. I mean, they definitely wanted this game badly, no question. LeBron's like 180 from when he misspoke the night where I'm not playing if there are no fans, right? Like to his <laughs> open embracing of this and seemingly kind of almost being the lead guy in regards to like, let's make the bubble great is pretty remarkable. I think it's a great lesson for all of us, Locke. I mean, I, I've tried to take it to heart as well during the pandemic. There's a lot of things that we can't control in life. There's a lot of things that are just bigger than us that are outside of our purview and the only thing that we control is our response right so it's like if if you get you know uh whether it's like a layoff or you're just your hours are cut or you know whatever whatever else might happen to you in these kind of tough circumstances what's the best way to respond it might not be the the perfect method it might not be the straightest path but how can you make the best of a bad situation and that's exactly what lebron's done and he's also tried to find an opportunity out of a challenge right he's saying look if we come in here focused if we have great teamwork we're going to be able to outlast a lot of these teams that aren't used to this stuff. We can win uh, this thing with our minds and our collective spirit. And this is an opportunity for him to get his fourth ring. I think he sees all that uh, right ahead of him and, and he's trying to write that story. And I say, you know, kudos to him, but it's not just him. Giannis has done very similar things with Milwaukee. They've come out here really focused. I thought Kawhi showed you that he's still in that conversation as the best player in basketball early in that game. It's not going to be an easy path by any stretch but I do admire his ability to refocus during tough times. And that's learned behavior. I mean, remember how shook he was in the 2011 finals when the times got tough, right? When the pressure mounted, they're throwing junk defenses at him. He was not ready to adjust. And I think that, uh, you know, he's grown a lot in the last 10 years and we're seeing it before our eyes. Offenses were bad in this game. Offensive ratings was 102 for the Lakers, 100 for the Clippers. Those are both like, according to cleaning the glass, about 15 percentile. Mid-range shooting was awful. It was 10 of 39. Do you think that's rust? Do you think that's two great defensive teams? Do you, I've always felt if players are at their freshest, the defenses actually then become even better. Um, what's your thought on why that happened tonight? Well, you know, John Hollinger wrote something recently kind of predicting that and saying if you go back and look at like other lockout time periods where there's been long layoffs, offenses tend to start slow. The defenses are ahead a little bit. I didn't necessarily think that it was an ugly, choppy game necessarily. Um, and, and same thing goes for that Utah game. I mean, there was nice moments kind of both ways. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, the defenses were in a position where they just had the advantage and, and then maybe it'll improve as we kind of go forward. Uh, but I do think the effort level was up really high. I think these guys missed playing, number one. And I do think that they were resting, like you're describing, number two. And that, and that matters as well. But I think they were trying to put on a show. It felt like, you know, Christmas Day or, you know, an expanded version of opening night where guys really wanted to come out and say, look, uh, you know, don't forget about us. You know, we're competing for your attention again. The NBA is back. You know, we know it's a little bit different, but, like, give us a shot. And I don't think it was only LeBron. I don't think it was only Kawhi. I mean, like you mentioned, Paul George, Anthony Davis, all the, the stars really showed up in one way or another tonight. And so from that standpoint, again, if you're the league uh, you know, commissioner, Adam Silver, you're the other league office executives, you're feeling really, really happy and proud uh, with this opening. 
Clippers and the Lakers. Who do you think the team in the West is that could ch- is most likely to challenge and and push one of these two teams to the brink? I'm not sure if there is a team that can do it. If there's one, I would still maybe circle Houston just because of their weird matchup issues. You know, they did beat the Lakers in just like a weird cross match thing. Are they going to get exposed in a series and, and the Lakers length, um, you know, and, and LeBron winds up overwhelming Houston? I could definitely see that. But I just don't see any of those other second tier teams, Denver, Utah, Dallas. I just don't see any of those teams, you know, pushing these guys. I just think they're a cut above personally. And I say that even with, you know, the Clippers giving guys like Reggie Jackson and Joakim Noah big minutes. Um, you know, I, I think that they're not quite super teams, but they're close and they're the, the cream of the crop. Do you feel differently? No, I think that's probably right. Um, you know, I, I think that there's interesting matchups inside three through seven, but I think I probably agree with you. Um, the only... If the Jazz had Bogdanovich... They match up very well against the Clippers because the Clippers keep Rudy Gobert near the rim. And so it key, it turns Kawhi Leonard and Paul George into really very high mid-range usage guys, but the Jazz don't have enough offense. And the defense of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Patrick Beverly would take away all their scores. So that's where they needed that fourth score in Bogdanovich to be able to have an impact. So I, I don't think so. Um, Gobert's the only player who I think can, can cause the Clippers some problems in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, it's uh, the thing is, we did not see the Clippers at their best. I, I still think that they have gears that they can get to that nobody, including the Lakers, can get to. But are they going to be able to do it consistently with these guys coming in and out of the bubble? It's one of the biggest storylines before the games even started. Uh, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. And then just, you know, you, you've got a team culture where that's a lot of guys who are, you know, in and out. That has impacts on every other player, his role, his mentality, his buy into this entire environment. I mean, ideally, if you're the coach, you don't want anyone leaving the bubble no matter what. And of course, you can't control everything, but. Um, it does shake things up and it just kind of puts other people in a different mindset. Um, I guess that's really where the Clippers would be vulnerable. Ultimately, I think if they're fully loaded, uh, they're still a team that has a, a higher ceiling than, than pretty much anyone here. Been funny murmurs around that team all year about not being cohesive, if you recall. Maybe they get more sure. cohesive in the bubble than they would uh, otherwise. Uh, ben Golliver is with us. If you're a fantasy basketball player, locked on fantasy basketball, Josh Lloyd's putting out amazing programs. So make sure you get that. You can start your morning with news that matters in just 10 minutes. That's Axios Today show. And a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. That's Axios Today. I mentioned Rudy Gobert a moment ago. It all started with Rudy Gobert testing positive. He got blamed for that, which you can decide now whether you think that's reasonable or not. And he, by the end of this, has to feel pretty good about things as he scores the first two and the last two points at the free throw line and gives the Jazz a surprising win over the Pelicans. Well, I can exclusively report, Locke, I had a nice sit-down conversation with Rudy on Friday, and I told him you, you were missing him and the bubble experience and everything else, and he told me, quote, I bet he is missing us right now. So there you go. Um he, I think, is in a nice place mentally. You know, it's been a really tough, long four months. Uh, he was able to kind of lay out a lot of the things that he went through. He mentioned some of the abuse that he received from people online because of, you know, the whole incident touching the microphones. He certainly seemed apologetic about it. 
Um, and he also said that, like, just him personally, he wasn't really in a place to want to play basketball in the aftermath of that incident. He was still worried about his own health. He was distraught, kind of, from, from being separated from his mother, who was uh, essentially stuck in France, not able to come visit him because you know, he was still symptomatic in the early stages. And then, of course, it got difficult to, you know, internationally travel by air uh, because of the coronavirus. So he's been through an awful lot. For him to come in with the right mindset to kind of take leadership and ownership of his own communication, you know, and telling people he wants to be a more positive leader, he wants to be somebody who builds guys up and, and instructs them rather than kind of dogs them out for maybe missing an assignment or, or not passing him the ball. I think it shows a lot of growth and what a payoff. I mean, he, he scores the first basket of the restart. That was symbolic enough. And, you know, he keeps playing, gets the double-double and winds up hitting some clutch free throws to, to win that game. And by the way, like, it's quiet in these gyms. Step into the free throw line with, like, five, ten seconds left in a tie game, I would have been shaken. You know, I would have almost be shaking more than uh, in a, a full gym just because it's so different. And you're used to maybe guys screaming at you and the, the streamers and all that stuff going on behind the hoop. So I give him a lot of credit for knocking those free throws down. And like we said, you know, just kind of a storybook full circle moment for the NBA. Worth noting that Quinn Snyder scripts the first play of every game. <laughs> well, we knew where it was going, right? I mean, that was the that we could predict that one, you know. And that is kind of a you that UCLA cut down the side of the lane is something that they run for Rudy a ton. Uh, it very good win for the Jazz. They were down six or seven with seven minutes left. The the thing that jumps out to me is like we all love New Orleans. Everyone's you know fired up about New Orleans. And when I was prepping to call that game, like when I prep New Orleans, it feels like I'm prepping for a team that's forty and fourteen. I mean, they're unbelievably skilled. Everyone's a top three pick. Everyone's great. And then, like, you know what they are since Zion? And Zion didn't play a lot tonight, but they're 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, they're 8-8 eight and eight now in their last 16 games. The problem with the Pelicans, they don't win enough. And I don't <laughs> quite understand why, but at some point, like, you are your record, and they're 28-37. and 37. Well, I would say this, first of all. I mean, they they're a lot better with Zion than they were before they, you know, before he was, uh, you know, he came back in January. And I would also say they've had problems closing games a lot all year. And you saw it against Utah where, you know, some of the shot selection down the stretch, I mean, they're not terrible shots, but they're not great shots. And they're relying a lot on Ingram to do it. And, you know, he still is very young and I, he's not a guy I necessarily trust with the game on the line at this point of his career to just come through and deliver with, you know, tough twos or, or three-pointers off the dribble. I mean, that's asking a lot of any player, and he's still pretty darn young. Uh, you know, I hear you, though. I mean, they're kind of a, a Jekyll and Hyde team. The one thing I would say, though, uh, they were competitive in this game, and they dominated, actually. Well, not dominated, but they controlled it for a good chunk of it. Um, and they, I think that they controlled well it for because, a, they controlled it for probably thirty nine minutes, right? They didn't control right. the first four minutes, and they didn't control the last five minutes. But they like yeah, how do they lose a game that they controlled for thirty nine minutes? Uh, no, I mean they just kind of melted down down the stretch, and then you know sitting Zion. I think that's a factor we should probably discuss too. I would just point out though that six of their remaining seven games, I believe, are against sub five hundred teams. You know, going into the playoffs, so like. If you're competitive with the team that's clearly a playoff team, then they're going to have to play the Clippers on Sunday. That's going to be a tough game for sure. But then they've got six cupcakes in a row coming after that. If you wind up going six and two out of your eight, which is definitely possible for them, even after starting zero and one, and even with all of their late game issues that we're discussing, uh, you know, acknowledging all that, 
uh, they still have a chance, a really good chance, I would say, to be in that uh, in that uh, play-in type atmosphere, you know, enforcing the the eight-nine game against Memphis. So all is not lost in the world just because they uh, they kind of choked this one away, but for sure they gave it away in my eyes. I mean, Utah took it too, no no question, but. Uh, New Orleans helped them out along the way. All right, let's dig into the Zion thing. Two notes for you, though. Uh, Mem- uh, New Orleans is 28th in the league offensively in the clutch, 28th in the league defensively in the clutch, 29th Ooh. overall in the clutch this year. Uh, when I, I love that. I, when, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. When Brandon Ingram missed the shot to end the game, he moved to 1-for-15 in the final minute of a game this year, uh, and 0-for-6 from 3. I talked to a coach today in after the game on my drive home in the NBA and asked him about it. He said that he has no move. Like, think about his game. He doesn't have a move. That's not surprising to that coach. It's interesting that that's a developmental step for Brandon Ingram in the process. All right, Zion Williamson, like, there seems to be not a lot of explanation. Why a minutes limit? What is the minutes limit? And then Zion, I think, gave you a really weird quote of, I'm not upset they could shut me down. Why would you possibly shut him down if he's not healthy? What's going on? No, it's it's so weird. And the only thing I can kind of compare it to is the Greg Oden situation in Portland where it was just always weird around him because there's so much pressure on the number one pick and any little setback, he winds up getting treated with like the most kid gloves thing possible. But I don't understand how they're handling him here at all. I mean, they, they dragged it out for a game-time decision when he wound up playing, right? So what was the point of that? I mean, if he was going to play, just tell us on Tuesday. I think their concern was that he took almost two weeks off from practice because he had to attend to a family medical emergency outside of Orlando. We don't have any real details about what happened there. Um, and, you know, he didn't, when he came back on Tuesday and Wednesday, he didn't go through full contact practice and they didn't explain why he didn't uh, there either. So he says he's fine. He says he could have played more minutes. He says he wants to play more minutes. Um, and, you know, they're claiming there's no setback or no injury, but they're treating him in, in a very strange fashion. Now, in the moments that he did play, it wasn't really his best and most impactful game. He was able to score a little bit, do stuff around the basket, kind of like always. But the energy and hustle plays, you know, being one step ahead of the action, just kind of impacting have things, having things um, you know, kind of revolve and rotate around him when he's on the court, it didn't really have that feel uh, from him to me, at least tonight. And, you know, you look at the box score, it's pretty empty besides his scoring. So that's uncharacteristic of him. And also he was a big minus when he was on the court too. So, you could make an argument that you know maybe you didn't want to have him in late to close uh, just because of, of some of those developments along the way, but the whole thing is strange. I don't have a good answer for you, and you know he's being cryptic, like you mentioned, in, in all sorts of different ways. This is where, like, I got it. I understand New Orleans' schedule. I see the same thing you see. I'm buying it, but Favors doesn't look good either, frankly. I, I mean, I'm a big Favors fan as a person. I, I I would call him a friend, so it's hard for me to say that. But, like, I've seen Derek Favors look good before. That wasn't Derek Favors looking right. Like, there was no hop. There was no lift. His feet were on the floor the whole game. He had one field goal and an offensive rebound follow. Like, I don't know. If I'm Portland, I watch that. I'm pretty happy. Hey, Sacramento. Sacramento's the one who tweeted us that, the Jazz thank you. So, I, part I got it. I understand how soft that schedule is. Um, I, I'm going to – I find it hard to believe that they're going to go win six in a row or six of seven when, you know, there are 12 games below 500. 
Well, if they're going to do it, Zion's going to have to play more than 15 minutes, and he's going to have to play better than he played tonight. I would say it that way. But I do think that the door is open for those things to happen, and we'll have to just track how they handle his minutes. I mean, that to me is a, a big part of it. Um, I think they get a lot of energy and confidence from having him on the court, even though he's not like that lead playmaking wing. You know, I, I do think there's a certain direction to them. They just seem like they make more sense, and, the, and, and together uh, they're a little bit more cohesive when he's out there kind of as their motor um, and we'll see that tested. But, you know, the, the teams, they have to play. It's like Orlando and, and Washington. I mean, they got some really rough teams on their schedule, and they should be able to take care of those teams as well. But, um, you know, I, I would feel more confident in making those kinds of predictions if we had a clear understanding of what's going on with Zion. And at this point, we just don't know. All right. Uh, six tomorrow. Uh, which are you attending? I'm going to two games for each of the next four or five nights. Uh, so I'm going to Boston, Milwaukee tomorrow, followed by what it's uh, it's Houston and Dallas, I yep. believe. Yep. Um, the, the nightcap. So yeah, I'll be going to those two. They have a nice little half an hour break. Usually they've built in between the two games here. So you can just hop from one gym to the next. It's basketball heaven. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, so we'll see how long before I, I pass out. You know, we'll see how many how many nights in a row I can go to two games before my head starts spinning. Yeah, the only thing I would tell you is I think part of your reporting is you you know you haven't had to yet, but maybe you did in the scrimmages. The TV broadcast is incredible, right? And I'm not saying you should just but to see it, right? That that's part of what the NBA has done here. That's so remarkable is that they've put together this TV broadcast that you know I think you described it well. They turned it into a production movie set, right? Oh, it's a set. It is. And it, it paid off, man. It, it really works. The lights are awesome. The rail camera is really, really cool, um, where it kind of moves along with the action along the sideline. I think some of the robotic camera angles that they've used around the basket show you different angles um, as well. And the sound is great, too. I, I don't know exactly what it sounds like on TV, but I can just hear sort of the enhanced audio in the arena with the sneaker squeaks and, and all that stuff. And, you know, look, if you love the sport, you're going to love this. And if you're kind of half and half, 50-50 on it, I think it's going to draw you in and pull you in a little bit closer. Uh, anything you would share, uh, bubble life, bubble world, bubble existence, uh, before I let you go? So the only thing I would say is, like, there was a real excitement around the bubble today. Uh, it felt like a game day, and obviously it was the first game day since March. But you know how everyone has their routines in the morning. Maybe people are going to get workouts in or whatever it might be. Just as I was walking around and, and doing stuff, you're seeing, uh, you know, guys, uh, you know, doing uh, sprints out in the parking lot, doing jumping rope. You know, they're uh, they're just getting different exercise activities in. You know, kind of in preparation to burn off a little excitement for the uh, before the night's games. And then you're seeing the referees playing a bunch of pickleball. You know, that's kind of their new favorite thing to do. They got a real tournament going, uh, organized by Scott Foster. So I just think that, like, you know, it, it was a little bit of a dream scenario, idyllic scenario here all these people who are down here confined who love basketball, basketball is their life all feeling like, Hey, you know, four months paid off. And, uh, you know, people were just happy this morning, you know, and, and trying to find ways to kind of kill the time uh, before the big show tonight. Ben Golliver, thank you very much. Report from inside the bubble Monday. Josh Lloyd will have the biggest stories from the local experts right here on locked on NBA. And Josh Lloyd also has locked on fantasy basketball for you with all the breakdowns on the games as well. So make sure you tell your smart device right now to play the most recent episode of podcast locked on fantasy basketball.